How's everybody doing this morning? You're going to hear a little noise here for just just a little moment, I think, because I'm trying to make an adjustment, a physical adjustment. So sorry about the background noise. Got to adjust something on my microphone. Hang on, just one second. Okay, now I are back with you, and uh, just had to make a little, just a little tiny adjustment. My OCD kicked in in that moment, and I said, "I've got to do this right now." I couldn't have waited until afterwards to do that. No, of course not, because OCD would have, you know, been uh, bothering me the whole time. Yeah, I do think I have a touch of that sometimes. Not, not all the time. Just it just kind of randomly shows up, and. Uh, this morning is one of those showings up of it, uh, at least with this microphone. Anyway, how are you all doing this morning? We're in Luke chapter 9, and uh, hopefully we'll finish out Luke chapter 9. This is part 5, actually, of Luke chapter 9, and uh, we've been working our way down through that. It's just loaded up with so much goodness for us to share, and uh, so uh, I'm going to get us into the chapter here. Um. What we concluded with yesterday was Jesus' healing of a boy with an unclean spirit. And we were talking about, you know, modern psychology. Is everything over-labeled? Do we give everything too much of a, quote, scientific uh, 
explanation when sometimes there is a spiritual uh, uh, explanation for things, demons perhaps. Uh, we, we were musing on that consideration. You know, we've made everything so scientific, but yet as I view science today, uh, at least popular science, science popularized in culture, science is only uh, a cover for being able to say whatever we want to say. Uh, in fact, there, there's there been some question I was reading yesterday about uh, uh, a question questioning uh, the, the, the veracity, the truthfulness, the honesty of uh, modern research science. And because it seems that uh, research is done in such a way to uh, always be able to achieve the uh, predetermined conclusions. Uh, and research shouldn't work that way. Research should be a hypothesis. You Then you do your study, your research, and you find out whether the research proves your hypothesis true or null. And uh, But we don't seem to live that way in our day. We, we live in a day when, when you know, we people talk science, 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 I mean, just look at what's going on with the whole gender debate. I mean, to me, it's like they've thrown out a whole bunch of science. Uh, people don't want to believe in truth like that anymore. Uh, so we were we were talking about uh, psychology, uh, over-labeling, you know, is some of what we see as mental disorder or as emotional disorder, actually demonic uh, uh, intervention uh, and uh, oppression. Uh, demonization would be another word we might use, and, and I think the fact is probably some of it is. And uh, how do you discern those things? Well, again, I, I referenced, I don't know if it was yesterday, but within this last week, a book, a writer, and Neil Anderson, who deals with overcoming the darkness and uh, deals with, with the spiritual realm and uh, some somewhat older books, but very good books. Yet we don't see the church talking much about these things in our day because you know people raise an eyebrow and look at us with with great vast suspicion about whether uh, you know this is really real. You know, are, are you guys crazy or what? I mean, demons. Come on now. Science tells us that it is epilepsy. Science tells us that it is. Well, okay. So deal with this verse here. Uh, Verse 42, Luke chapter 9. Uh, while, while, even while the boy was, was coming to Jesus, the demon threw him to the ground in a convulsion, but Jesus rebuked the evil spirit, healed the boy, and gave him back to his father. The scriptures seem to indicate an evil spirit at work here. So either we have to say, well, the scriptures, they just weren't as enlightened in those days, just didn't know as, as much as in those day uh, in those days. So uh, that was the problem, and uh, of course they're going to reach conclusions like that because they just they just didn't have the information that we have today. And uh, I want to reject that. I, I I do just carte blanche want to reject that notion. Uh, I think the scriptures indicate what they indicate, and that uh, they're truthful. And I think that we in our day are the ones that have it mixed up. Now, already up in verse 22, let me get us back into the text here. Back in verse 22, we read these words. 
says, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law. He must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Okay, so Jesus predicts his death. He foretells, announces his death in verse 22. When we move our way back down this text, down to verse 43, he again foretells his death, and he says, uh, uh, and they were all amazed at the greatness of God while everyone was marveling at all that Jesus did. He said to his disciples, listen carefully to what I'm about to tell you. The Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. Now, remember, he had just healed this boy. Everyone is marveling at how he's healed this boy, but he says the Son of Man is going to be betrayed. And verse 45 says, they did not understand what this meant. It was hidden from them, so they did not grasp it, and they were afraid to ask him about it. Now, hidden from them, that that particular phrase, hidden from them. Uh, Sometimes an old word that used to be used or phrase was spiritually discerned. In other words, they they didn't have the, and I always wondered about that word because discernment seems to be a, 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 a word that would use, you're able to tell the difference. Uh, but yet it was also used in the King James vernacular. Uh, they were spiritually discerned. The idea that they couldn't understand, it was hidden from them. And sometimes the fact is things are spiritually hidden from people so that we cannot, so that they cannot understand. Their eyes are closed. There's a veil uh, cloaking their vision so that they cannot see what it is that they need to see, so that they cannot grasp what they need to grasp. And in this instance, the disciples at this point in time, still not grasping just exactly what Jesus means when he talks about, um, does everybody else have sound? I hope so. Uh, otherwise, they've been talking here for 11 minutes with without sound. Um we're glad you found us, Don. Uh, so uh, Jesus pronounces his death. Then what happens? Then an argument starts among the disciples uh, as to which of them would be the greatest. Well, which one's going to be his right-hand man? Which is going to be his left-hand man? Who's going to be closest to him? And it says, and this is quite a, a, a common human thing, is it not? We want to argue about, well, will, will I be... Will I be the uh, the most common one? Uh, will I be the nearest one? Will I be the most important one? And so they are all wondering about these things. And uh, yet, here we read. Did you guys lose sound? I don't know why. Uh, all my meters indicate sound going out just fine. Interesting. I don't know. Hmm. Okay. Well, I'm going to keep. You have no sound, huh, Don? All good. Oh, well, I'm going to keep going. I, I don't know what it is. Everything on my end is is copacetic here. So, um, for those listening in the midst of all that, it's uh, this is live. Uh, it's not. It's not mixed and pre-recorded and filtered and edited. It's live. So that's what you're hearing, uh, this little conversation. I'm reading the comments, but uh, uh, right here, from what I see, everything looks good, and many are saying they're, that they're having sound uh, coming through okay. So let me keep going. 
So it says they were all amazed at the greatness of God while everyone was marveling at all that Jesus did. He said to his disciples, listen carefully to what I'm about to tell you. And that's a common phrase, listen carefully. But do we listen carefully? Do we read carefully? Do we understand carefully? The Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men, but they did not understand uh, what was meant. It was hidden. We just talked about this, so they did not grasp it, and they were afraid to ask him. And then they got into this argument. Sorry, I kind of lost my place there a little bit in the comments. Uh, This argument, uh, who is the greatest? Jesus, knowing their thoughts, took a little child and had him stand beside him. And then he said to them, whoever welcomes this little child in my name welcomes me. Whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. For he who is least among you is the greatest. Um, so uh, oftentimes in our world, we want to think about who's most important. Uh, oftentimes in our world, we want to think about um, who's the most elegant, uh, who's the most prestigious, uh, and who's the best. And, uh, you know, we, we even think about this in terms of church ministry oftentimes, outreach. If we could just reach such and such a person. Uh, Jesus says, no, whoever welcomes a little child in my name welcomes me. In other words, if you can treat everybody the same, it, it doesn't matter whether they're a multimillionaire or billionaire or somebody that barely has two beans to rub together. If you can treat everybody the same, that's being like Jesus. So to welcome a little child, they would say, well, you know, children are to be seen, not heard. Ever heard that phrase? When you were a kid, did you ever hear that phrase? Some of you might have heard that. I didn't hear that phrase, but but I perhaps some of you heard that phrase, children are to be seen, not heard. Uh, Jesus says, welcome the children, go to the least, go to the small ones, go to little ones. Uh, and, 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 I, and I really believe what he's saying here and welcoming a little child is, is you go to the, you go to the least, uh, and then you'll be the greatest. And so often our, our, our thinking is, is not like that. And even think about who Jesus selected to be his, uh, apostles, the twelve. Uh, I mean, they, they were fishermen. They they probably had uh, a fisherman mouth. You know, they probably spoke like a sailor sometimes, maybe. And uh, there were there there was a certain crustiness about them, or the uh, deceitfulness of uh, a tax collector named Levi, who would later be called Matthew. Uh, Jesus didn't go to the ones who go, well, if I could just get Herod, if I could just have that that particular soldier, if I could just have that particular governor, if I could just have that particular person of means, then then ministry will be good. Jesus said, welcome everybody the same. Are we that way? How do we treat somebody that smells kind of off? How do we treat somebody that, uh, you know, their, their car is held together with duct tape? I shouldn't talk about that too much. Uh, how, how do we treat somebody that uh, maybe doesn't have the best clothing on? How do we treat somebody that, see what I'm saying? How do we treat somebody that, that, that does their shopping at uh, the GW Boutique? Uh, now, I know lots of people of means that go to the GW Boutique. You know what the GW Boutique is, right? Goodwill Boutique? Uh, Goodwill? Uh, Jesus simply says this. 
He says, whoever welcomes this little child, my name welcomes me. Whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. For he who is least among you will be the greatest. You want to be the greatest in God's kingdom? Be the least. Don't make yourself the most. Don't make yourself the greatest. Be humble about your circumstances. Remember, except but for the grace of God, there go I. So he corrects their thinking, and then he gets into this section here. Anyone not against us is for us. Master, said John, we saw a man driving out demons in your name, but we tried to stop him because he's not one of us. Don't stop him, Jesus said, for whoever is not against you is for you. Now, this this particular phrase, I mean, I could probably go off on these two verses. Um, in what I see, especially in Western Christianity, uh, this uh, among some Christian leaders, the spiritual superiority, well, I understand the truth properly and you don't, therefore... You know, you're not on the in crowd. I I really struggle with with this verse uh, and what I see in American culture. You know, I, I see Christians ripping each other down right and left. And it ought not be. Now, now, in some ways, it may not be as bad as it was 30, 40 years ago in the day of of such legalism. That, that has waned, at least in my impression and, and, and observation, that has waned considerably in our day. But now it's about theological truth. Well, if you don't understand this theological truth the way I do, then you're simply wrong and I won't fellowship with you. That seems to strike against what Jesus says here. Whoever is not against you is for you. You know, are, are we on the same team? Now, I, I was yesterday um, just kind of flipping through on TikTok, actually, on the... Uh, uh, Oh, Trinity broadcast a TBN, and they had preachers and musicians, Christian, you know, let's label them as Christian, of all ilks and stripes on there. And I thought, wow, what a mix-up and what a mixture, what a mash of of people. And some that we would go and look at and go, well, that person's just simply a heretic or any number of things. But I was also musing on the fact that, okay, these people are all proclaiming the name of Jesus, and for that I should give thanks. Yes, are there some issues? Yes. Are there some preachers that, that don't speak all that they should speak? Yes. Uh, are there some preachers that don't call sin, sin? Yes. Are there some musicians that their lyrics are are maybe grossly off? Yes. I, 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 I will acknowledge those things. But it's very interesting to me when you put that up against what Jesus is saying here, whoever is not against you is for you. How does that play out today? How should that play out today in how we recognize and welcome others who are maybe of a different spiritual ilk? The Baptist and the Pentecostals would be an example. Now, you have some people call themselves Baptocostals, and they I understand that. You know, you have people who are reformed and non-reformed, and it's like, come on, folks, so stop drawing these lines. And let's get busy about telling people about Jesus. Uh, that's where I personally land. Now, do I believe in election? Sure. Um, but is that something that I want to spend all my day debating with someone? Well, if you don't believe in it, then no. I, I want to spend my time lifting up Jesus. 
And I think that's what Jesus is getting at here. Look, that person is, is, is trying to, maybe they're not a part of us, but they're, they're proclaiming my name. And when, when the time was right or, or when, when occasions called for it, they got their dose of uh, righteous instruction. I talked yesterday about the sons of Sceva. Jesus says simply this, whoever is not for you is against you. I'm sorry, whoever is not against you is for you. I stated that completely opposite of the way it's written there. Whoever is not against you is for you. Now, let's continue reading. It says, as time approached for him to kick, wow. As time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. I mean, he had his mindset where he was going to go. He wasn't going to be deterred. And he sent messengers on ahead who went to a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. When the disciples, when the disciples James and John saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them, and they went to another village. Jesus said, no, don't, don't worry about it, basically. I mean, they did not want to have Jesus come there to celebrate this feast uh, because he was going to Jerusalem. This You see here this division between the Samaritans and the Jews. And so the disciples say, we'll call down heaven, uh, upon, we'll call down fire from heaven upon this particular village. Now, let's get to the cost. Let's wrap this up with the cost this morning of following Jesus. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. And he said to another man, follow me. But the man replied, first, let me go and bury my father. Jesus said, let the dead bury their own dead. But you can go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of heaven. In other words, we have all these other things that we want to take care of when he is calling for immediate obedience. We can look at this and go, well, how how uncaring, how uncompassionate for the Lord to to say to this man, let the dead bury their own dead. And really what Jesus is saying is, look, you, you can go deal with death or you can go proclaim life. And uh, drawing the distinction between between the, the sheer weightiness and grandeur and greatness of the opportunity he had to go proclaim the gospel. Do we see the gospel in that light? Do we see the gospel through those lenses where there's nothing greater? And, and I mean, this this seems to sum up, uh, again, American Western Christianity. Uh, Lord, I will, and now, I understand, following Christ is more than about just attending church. I get that. But we, one of the measures, one of the metrics is gathering together. And when we find ourselves too busy to gather with other believers on a regular, consistent basis, 
perhaps our life is out of kilter. Uh, still another says in verse 61, still another will say first, let me go back and say goodbye to my family. But Jesus said, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom. This, this is a curious statement that he makes here. But basically, it's like you cannot have half-hearted followership. You have to follow me completely. Now, over in the book of Matthew, chapter 10, he will talk about, you know, if your love for me doesn't make your love for others appear as hate, then you don't love me as you should. That's what he says uh, over in Matthew 10. In fact, let me take us over to Matthew chapter 10, because I think that elucidates a little bit more for us this particular section. Um, Yes, here we go. Matthew chapter 10. Do not suppose that I've come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. And no one understands this better than my Muslim friends in Muslim countries, former Muslims who've become Christians. They understand this. It says, for I have come to turn a man against his father and a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. I mean, the gospel separates people sometimes, even in Western culture. A man's enemies will be members of his own household. If anyone loves his father or mother more than me, is not worthy of me. And if anyone loves his son or daughter more than me, is not worthy of me. And anyone who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Uh, I mean, your, your family might say, don't follow. You're being crazy. You're being fanatical. I don't see any other way. I don't. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Um, and and yet, oftentimes, our families will, will cause us to live with a diluted faith. Um, and they say, don't get carried away. So, we're called to this great followership. We're called to follow Christ in ways that is uh, uh, goes beyond. We're, we're called to not to put our hand to the plow and look back and, and say, oh, I want to go have this. In other words, you know, we, we want to have our cake and eat it too. Or another way I might state it is that we want to uh, have the best of both worlds. Uh, Jesus told the man, I'll follow you. He said, I don't have any place to lay my head. Are you okay with that? You're not going to have a nice house. Uh, you know, you're, you're, you're going to be itinerant. We, we really don't have a house. Uh, or you're going to have rice and beans. Or you're going to have, or would, would you be willing for that? Would I be willing for that? Uh, he said to the man, follow me. But the man replied, Lord, first go bury my father. I mean, dealing with family matters. Um, wanting to go back and say goodbye to the family. You know, he, he says, you have the opportunity to proclaim the kingdom of God. Friends, you and I have the opportunity to proclaim the kingdom of God. Uh, and will we f- weigh the costs? Look at the header here. Counting the cost, the cost of following Jesus. Will we follow after him? With all of our hearts. I mean, he, he lays down a hard thing here. Will we accept it? Will we take it? And will we live it? That's the question. That's the question of the day. Will we follow after him in that kind of a way? Lord, help us. Help us to follow after you. Help us to walk with you. Help us to uh, also value what you value and you value people regardless of their social status you treat them all the same lord help us to do that 
Help us to not be dissuaded from our followership by, by family, by friends, by work, by money. Help us to follow you because you alone are worthy of our hearts, of our minds, and of our entire love. Lord, help us to walk right with you. Help us to share you today. Help us to, to think about the great privilege we have of going and proclaiming the kingdom of God. Help us to do that to the honor and glory of Jesus uh, and to the good of those who will obey. Lord, hear our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, have a great day. See you tomorrow.